Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. How this works, how my dad taught me how to preach, both in uh, literally him going, hey, this is what you, this works great, one-on-one sessions, and then also just growing up in church and watching him and many, many others, is this works best when I give you what God's giving me and working out in me. So he says this phrase all the time. He goes, I'm literally like one to two steps ahead of you. So I'm going to use I and we in this a lot because this I feel is a challenge that God is challenging me to. And if you fit in that category, great. So if at the end of the day, I'm encouraged, I have the microphone, so I'll, I'll leave great. If you do, great too. So, but tonight I'm going to be, the title of my message is Agents of Encounter. And you can put that screen on. So when, when I think of, you know, I'm, one of my favorite kind of movies is a spy movie, right? And because I remember growing up and when my parents would go away, I would stay at my grandma and grandpa Roy's house and we would watch old James Bond movies and Jason Bourne and, you know, all sorts of, you know, Mission Impossible, all sorts of, you know, really good spy movies. And so I, you know, I started looking up what it takes to be a secret agent, like an FBI agent or a CIA agent or any one of those three, three letter agencies. And I, I was really, you know, this is just a brief overview. And, and, but here's, here's some common thing, requirements that these agencies need. They want you usually to have a bachelor's degree, but most candidates have master's degrees. They want you to be, have a specialty in some sort of skill, you know, uh, field, whether that be, you know, even if you're a forensic accountant, that's probably going to be the specialty you go into or, you know, things like that. There's a three-year application process. It's three years long, usually. Some, some more intense uh, agencies have, you know, longer process but they do a forensic audit of everything. They, they do your finances, your background. I mean, people you, if you got a detention in middle school, they know about it, right? <laughs> then there's top secret things that we don't even know, right? But when I think of an agent, I usually think of this guy right here. Go ahead and hit that slide, right? <laughs> that is... The one and only Sean Connery as James Bond. Or maybe some, maybe some of you guys like the next one. That guy. I, I have come to really like th- this guy. Uh, he's the more modern version. Go ahead, next one. That's the, that's the new guy. And, you know, and then, you know, going ahead into the next one. And we won't really talk about him. Um, but maybe... Maybe James Bond isn't your thing. Maybe, maybe, how many like Jack Ryan, right? Jack Ryan. Maybe go, go, to the, go to the first one. There's only one Jack Ryan, and that's Harrison Ford. No, well, well, there he is. There he is. Harrison Ford. He's the best Jack Ryan. But Alec Baldwin, go on to the next one. He did a pretty good job. Hunt for Red October, probably top five movies. 
And then poor, poor Ben Affleck. He just didn't stand a chance. But then you have the other Jack, the, the other Jack guy, uh, that guy. I've never seen 24. I had to look up his name as Jack Bauer. But my favorite, and I know my mom's favorite, is Agent Phil Coulson. See, she's the only one I knew. Oh, hey, Tom Frank back there. Yep. So basically, if you are 30 or under or Tom Frank and my mom, <laughs> that's not going to be good later. <laughs> You'll know who that is. Anyway, uh, that show went downhill after season four, just saying. Anyway, uh, these are, these are kind of your represent. These are the things that I think of when I think of an agent. But when you look at the word agent, the definition is someone that is, that, who acts on the behalf of another person or a group. I am just using the term agent to kind of first be funny. But then two is we, whether we understand this reality or not, we are agents of encounter for the people out there. We know when we look at when we do a brief cursory read over just the Gospels, we know that anyone who has an encounter with Jesus Christ leaves changed. Anyone who has an encounter with Jesus Christ, for whether it's the woman with the issue of blood who just touches the hem of his garment, she encountered him for a brief moment, but she left changed. Whether it was the Roman centurion who even amazed Jesus when he started talking about how, you know, I am a man of authority and under authority. You know, he left that place changed. But I like to look at, for a moment, some scripture that it's kind of our call to arms. It's our, it's our declaration of, you know what, I'm taking on, not, not just taking on the mission, but I am called to a mission. There's three sections of scripture in the, in, the synop, in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke 24, 46 through 48. I'm not gonna, it's on the screen, but the main point is, Jesus is saying, it, it, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and raise from the dead on the third day. And it was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all of the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There, uh, there is forgiveness of sin for all who repent. You are witnesses of these things. That word witness is literally, it's translated to one who proclaims truth. So what is the truth that we're proclaiming? The truth that we are proclaiming is everything stated before. Everything that's stated before, that Jesus died, rose again three days later, and the forgiveness of sin is found in his name, in his name alone. Matthew 28, 18, verse 18 through 20, it says, that then Jesus came and said to them, all authority in, he in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is, the, this is the, probably the mo one of the most popular verses in Matthew, it's, it's called the Great Commission. But my personal favorite is found in Mark 
16, 15 through 18. It says, and he said to them, go into all of the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes in their hands. And when they drink deadly poisons, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get up. They will get well. Sorry. See, these three sections, these three sections of scripture, that's our call to arms. That's our call to say, you know what? You and I are no longer, when we take on the mantle of a follower of Jesus, when we take on the mantle of being someone that calls Jesus Lord, we are supposed to go into all of the world and preach the gospel to all nations. Here's the, the challenge. At least, here's my challenge. My challenge is that I've been in church my entire life. I've heard these verses many, many times. I've been told many times that I am, you know, the righteousness in Christ Jesus. I'm a disciple. I'm a follower. I'm an agent. I'm a child. Whatever synonym you want to put on a follower of Jesus, I've been told that so many times that sometimes it loses its potency. Sometimes I get, I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, no, I know, yeah. But sometimes I, I have to, what God is challenging me is going, no, 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 no. Hey, I, I know you hear it a lot and that's, that's good, but I want you to hear, you know when you hear something, when you read in the word, you, you may have read it 15, 20, 100 times, but then the Holy Spirit just kind of ninja chops you right in the head and just like, hey, pay attention to this. Because here's, here's the thing, is, is that, you know, we, we may lose potency, with the, the potency may lose, it, it, be, it may be lost on us a little bit, but it doesn't lose any of its truth. And let me, let me change gears a little bit. Let me ask you this question. I want you to think about the person in your life that needs an encounter with Jesus. Don't say it out loud. Don't say their name, because if they're sitting next to you, that's a little awkward. <laughs> but that person in your life, and I'm not talking about my wife. I love her so much. She has a t-shirt and says, I forgot, who, who bought you that y'all need Jesus shirt? Luke, our friend, good friend Luke. He's gone. He's not gone, he's just moved away. <laughs> our good friend, I know that took a dark turn, sorry. <laughs> Our good friend Luke bought my wife a shirt and says, y'all need Jesus. It's kind of reminds me of like a sassy grandma, right? When, when her grandkids are doing something bad, it's like, y'all need Jesus, right? I'm not talking about in that sense because I know everybody needs Jesus. I, in the quaint sense, I get the fact that the person behind you that is being mean in the grocery line needs Jesus. They do. The, you know, the, everybody needs Jesus. I get that. But I want to make this a little bit personal. Who in your life needs to have a, a radical, transforming encounter with Jesus Christ? I want you to put their name at the forefront of your mind. I want you to put them on your heart right now. Because I want to address and I want to encourage and equip you. And then I want to challenge you. Not in the sense of like challenge. Ugh. Like I want to challenge you. I want to, I like, a, like 
Think of me. I, I went, I, I was in basketball. I was in football in high school. And, and there, was, there was these moments where my, especially in basketball, uh, I'm sorry, well, now basketball too. We, were, we would do these things. They were called wall sits. I'm not even going to try. I was going to go sit on that wall and try. I did not want to embarrass myself. Anyway, they're called wall sits. And if you don't know what a wall sit is, you lean your back up against the wall and you sit at a 90 degree angle, right? And we, would, we got up to a point where we would do that for 15 minutes. Then my, my basketball coach would just, he loved cruelty. Um, he was a great, he, he was a great guy. He is a great guy. Uh, he would make us hold a basketball out like this. And then he would come up and hit it. And if he hit it out of our hands, we had to get up and run a suicide. If you don't know what a suicide is, there's lines on a basketball court. You would have to run to the free throw, back, half court, back, other free throw, back, full court, back. That's one. And we would have to do it in 28 seconds. And if one person on the team didn't make it, that didn't count. So how he would motivate us is on top of it, where I'm not like, Shay knew him. He was a monster. <laughs> but man, I was in such good shape. <laughs> we would be sitting there and he would, this is probably child abuse now, but he would walk across our thighs back and forth. And I mean, we would be literally shaking. Like, I, I, remember, I remember standing there and look, just straight out and, and then the, like, the, all of this area right here in my vision started going black. Like I thought in movies where your ears kind of closed off that that was, that was not true. Like that didn't, no, your ears closed off and all you hear is your heart in your ear. And he get, would get in my face and he goes, you're stronger than you realize. Your mind is stronger than what your body's willing to do. Why did I tell you all of that? What he was doing is he was challenging my thinking. Because guess what? My body did what my mind said it would. Like you are not going to give up. You were either going to pass out or you're going to finish. And I never passed out. And, he, and, he, and I came up to him one day. I'm like, why would you do that? And he goes, because your, your thinking is not matching what your body actually can do. And so he challenged me to challenge my thinking. And so what I want to do this morning, tonight, there's two. I want to challenge some of your thinking, not from a standpoint of, oh, you slug, but from a standpoint of you, we can do more. We are capable of so much more than what we are allowing ourselves to do. And so in this, I want you to, Put that person on the forefront of your mind. I want you to put that person on your heart. And I want to ask you this question. If you are not going to be the representative, representative of Jesus or the agent of encounter in their life, who is? I just want, you, I just want to ask that one simple question. Who, if not you, then who? And see... I look at, when you look at the, when you look at the landscape of Jesus's life, there are people who have encounters with Jesus that we get very, very little backstory. And so we kind of have to, what I like doing, and what I like doing is I like reading the story, but I like kind of getting a broader picture and I look at things like original language, historical context, and all this stuff so that I'm not violating the text, but I'm getting a little bit more of the picture. And, and, and if you have your Bibles open, I, I just want you to turn to Luke 
5.17. And we're going to stay in verse 17 through 26. And this is a very common section of scripture. And it says, One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law were sitting nearby. And it seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried taking him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That that's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to stand up and walk? So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. See, here is a story of a man who had an encounter with Jesus, but had nothing to do with it. He had an encounter. He got to meet the creator of heaven and earth, but he had very little to do with it. He had some friends. Some translations say four, roughly, it's about four guys. Came, picked him up, took the roof off the house, lowered him, and set him at the feet of Jesus. Before, what that tells me is before there was an encounter, there was a plan. So what I like to do, because I have a very active imagination, is I like to think of what, what, did they, what kind of things did they have to do to get him to Jesus? Well, first off, they had a, let's, let's just say, let's just say, all right, the guy's over there. Let's say he's across town. And it's, our, it, it's, it's a good thing to think that he would be probably by himself or maybe even with other people that are afflicted because the Jewish culture of the day thought that if you had any sort of iniquity or, or anything wrong with your body, that either your parents sinned or you sinned. And so therefore you have this as punishment. So usually, you know, people like this were unclean. So they all kind of hung out together. So here are these guys. They go, hey, our friend is in a desperate situation. Our friend cannot get the answer he needs without our help. So what I like to think, and I don't think it violates scripture to think this way, is I like to think these guys got together and said, look, it, we're going to go get Johnny. We're going to go get him, and we're going to bring him to Jesus. So they grab him, and he really doesn't have a choice in the matter because he's paralyzed. So it's like, where are we going, guys? Don't know. Let's go. And he, they take him. They take him to this house. Well, this house is packed with people. There's people in the house and there's people all around the house. And see, I don't know, if, I don't know about you, but this is probably where I give up. Because I don't like really, I don't like lines. I live on Western and 
for some reason, every time I come to church on Wednesday, I go down Western and I come up Beverly right in front of In-N-Out and the whole KRMC parking lot's emptying out. And I don't like waiting in line, so I cut through the KRMC parking lot to ju- and I've memorized the car that I would have been behind. So I cut through the parking lot to get on Stockton Hill to pass the line. And if I passed the car that I was behind, it was a good thing. I hate lines and I hate crowds that much. So this is what I'm saying. Hey, bro, sorry, Johnny. We're going to take you back to your, you know, hole over here because, you know, there's just too many people. These guys, they don't see, they don't see the obstacle as a problem. They go, look it. You, we want to see you walk. Even if they're, you know, this is a good thought. Even if their motivation was purely entertainment, they thought, we want to see, we want to see your bro walk. That'd be cool. Even if it wasn't really for his well-being, even if it was just like, hey, let's, let's see that. They did not allow, allow the circumstances that were presented to them to prevent them to get to the creator. So the very first thing that they had to do is they had to get a ladder. They had to get a ladder to get on the roof. And so I can just see these guys scrambling around and here comes, you know, the, probably the little, little bit of a shady dude. They're, they're like, yeah, we're gonna keep you around because you make us look tough. He probably found this ladder and they're like, dude, where'd you find that ladder? You don't want to know. Shh. Shh. Where'd you get that rope? Shh. And so they get on this roof. And I used to think, because I always used to, I, you know, I've heard many sermons that, you know, they're digging. I, I even told my dad, I was t- kind of telling him my idea this morning. I'm like, how cool would it be if I had like Alex Chadsey hiding in the roof? And when I told this story, like he started moving the ceiling tiles, but our luck, he would like fall and hey, yeah, it just wouldn't have been good. But it would have been cool though. But like I would, I, I thought, I thought that he was like digging, you know, through this clay roof. But I, on, on further research, what I found was that the 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 phrase they removed the tiles. What that tell what that tells you is, in in those days, wealthy, you know, homeowners they would have these houses with a courtyard in the middle. And so what they would do is they would, have all of the apartments and things like that for, you know, friends and family and things like that all around. And the courtyard would be in the center. And during the summer, they would have these tiles off so the sun can come in and the breeze can come through and it would cool down the whole house. But during the colder months or during the rainier months, they would put these tiles on so that the water wouldn't come in and, and wreck the house. So these guys knew, they're like, hey, that's, I bet you, that's a, that's a 2,200 square foot. I bet, I bet that has a skylight. We could totally get Johnny through the skylight. And Johnny, once again, has no choice. Sure, guys, whatever. You brought me this far. Let's go. Let's, let's see what this Jesus can do. And so they get up on the roof. And now, imagine, imagine now, Jesus is sitting there and he's dispousing wisdom as Jesus does. And he's sitting there and all of a sudden he's... And I, like, being, because he's Jesus and he's, you know, has, has the, the, the Holy Spirit and he can kind of, he goes, ah, I know what's going to happen. This is going to be really cool. And he's just sitting there waiting. And I can see, he can see all the faces, like, kind of like you guys are like, why is he sitting on the ground right now? But he knows that this is going to be a great teaching opportunity. So he allows it to continue. And then they start pulling up these tiles and they start moving and, and, and all of a sudden, I just kind of see, like, here Jesus looks at this open hole now and four little heads. And they just look down. Like, wow, there's a lot of people in there. And then, 
And then imagine the dude on the front row. The dude on the front, when I, like when I go to conferences and things like that, my wife hates it, but I want, I am front row Joe. I'm like, I want to sit right there and not like, I want two seats because I got a seat for my Bible and I got a seat for my wife and that's it. Like don't, and if someone then comes up and sits in front of me, it's like, what are you doing? I'm going to flick you in the back of the head the whole time. And now here this dude is paralyzed. He starts coming down. He's at the feet of Jesus. And look at what Jesus' response is. He looks, and he doesn't look at the man. He looks back up and hit that slide. It says, seeing their faith. He goes, I just, I like to put Jesus kind of modernize him. I just did my relationship with him. And you can, if he, if he speaks, you know, Elizabethan English, that's cool too. But I'm like, you know what? Jesus is probably looking, good job guys. Seeing their faith said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Pause. Hear this guy gets drug up on a roof, lowered down in front of all these people. And he's thinking, seeing their faith, Jesus says to the man, young man, he's probably thinking the next words coming out of his mouth are, you're healed. And the thing that he hears is, your sins are forgiven. Okay, thanks. Appreciate that, but I'd really like to walk. But Jesus knew the condition of his heart was more important than the condition of his legs. But Jesus also knew that if I can get to your heart, your legs will follow. If I can meet the need of your heart, if I can service that need of your heart, this, this thing that's inside of you that's aching and burning for me, if I can heal that, your legs are soon to follow. And he knew that the religious people, Jesus doesn't say anything by accident. The religious people knew that the moment he said that, Jesus knew that the moment he said your sins are forgiven, someone's feathers are going to get ruffled. And here, the, the Bible says that they were thinking to themselves. So Jesus is not even, Jesus isn't even like they, oh, he heard some murmuring or whispering or anything. Like that. He goes, hey, knock it off. What's easier? What's easier? Saying your sins are forgiven or take up your, man, your mat and walk. But to prove to you that I have authority to do both, your sins are forgiven and take up your mat and walk. And so he gets up. You see, this is the God we serve. This is the God that we serve. It was four bros who had a plan. My question now is this, is if these four men didn't bring their friend to Jesus, would he, had, would he have had an encounter with Jesus? That's, I can't say no, and you can't say yes. It's one of those things of, hmm. But let me ask you this. What if, instead of bringing this young man to Jesus, they had let things like, oh, you know, he is, he's kind of the creator of heaven and earth, and he, 
he's getting a kind of a big following. You know, look at his Instagram. I mean, he has a lot of people. Like, I mean, he, like, there's going to be a crowd. You know, parking is going to be a bummer. You know what? I, I just, uh, there's going to be probably like a 30-minute wait into children's check-in. I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It, like, do we like Johnny that much? <laughs> like, what if they allowed, here's, Here's my problem. My problem is, and maybe you can relate, is too many times I let the potential of rejection talk me out of being an encounter, being an agent of encounter. I, listen, to, listen to what I said really carefully. The potential of rejection See, it, it didn't talk about the, the encounter that the four men had with Johnny. They didn't talk about that. They just showed the fact that they, they brought this guy. What we have to realize is that we oftentimes talk ourselves out of even going and talking to him, to bring him. See, if you, I, I did some research in it, in it I love statistics. They're my favorite. And according to Pew Research that like eight out of every 10 Christians are afraid to share their faith with even close relatives that, aren't, that, that are non-believers. Eight out of every 10. The reverse is seven out of every 10 non-believers would come to church or engage in a spiritual activity if a close friend asked them to do it. So here's the lie. The lie is, is that if you talk to your friend about the radical encounter you had, they are going to reject your encounter. They are going to diminish, downplay, laugh, scoff, whatever, about what's God, what God has done in your life. See, there, I feel that there are some lies that we believe. And the first one is obviously afraid of rejection. The, se the second is, is what if I offend them? We live, I look at, we live in a culture that, I mean, walking on the right-hand side of the street may potentially offend someone. Like, I'm not, like, I'm not, I mean, it's kind of funny, but we allow the potential to offend someone to overrule what God has called us to do. We, the second, the, 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 I'm sorry, the third is this, what if we get categorized as someone we're not? What I mean by this is, look it, I've gotten food sick, I've gotten like sick from eating Taco Bell. I think there's a good portion of people that have had that happen. But if I told you I'm never going to eat Mexican food because I had a bad experience with Taco Bell, you'd probably look at me and go, Andy, you really need to, like, there's some great Mexican food out there. Like, if I told you that I had a bad experience with, account, with an accountant and I told you I'm never going to use money again, you'd probably look at me and go, well, that's a little ridiculous, bro. I one, I, I one time took Tylenol and nothing happened. Therefore, all doctors are like, they don't know what they're talking about. Because what happens is, is what we get this lie that's put into our brain that we might get categorized as, a, as, as something that we're not because that person may have had a bad experience with a Christian. 
And I don't want to be categorized as that, so I'm not going to let them know I'm even close to that. But at the meantime, you could be the very thing that changes their perspective about everything they know about Christianity. Pastor Howard used to say all the time, most people don't go to church because they either have or have not met a Christian. The fourth lie, they'll hold me to a standard that I'm not sure I can live up to. Because if I go, you know, as the kids like to say, <laughs> I made my wife laugh. Anyway, if I go Facebook official, you guys know what that means, right? If I post it on Facebook and let up the whole world know. If I make it official, if I go on record with this person that I go to church, they may hold me to a standard that I just might not be able to uphold. Because you know what? I'm still working out this Christianity thing. I'm still working out this faith and it's a relationship. And because they may have had a bad experience with hypocritical Christians, they may categorize me as well. And you see how this becomes this snowball of excuses and reasons not to. I'm t look at every single one of these I put down. I go, God, what stops me from sharing you to my best friends? And lastly, I'm not willing to lose this person in my life. I think this one's probably the hardest one because what if it's your mom? What if that person on the forefront of your thought right now, because remember I told you to keep that person in mind? What if it's a family member? What if it's your brother, your sister, your, your husband, your wife? What if I start going in this direction and they're not gonna follow and it causes a gap? What happens then? Well, I'm here to tell you that when you stand, the world is craving authenticity. The world is craving people who are real and vulnerable and authentic. And look at, I got issues. One of the last sermons Pastor Howard preached was, it's okay not to be okay. And unfortunately, he passed before he could finish that. It's, but it's not okay to stay that way. And here's the reality is, is that we get to be the standard in people's lives. And this has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But Jesus calls us salt and light. Why? Because you never eat popcorn and go, this salt is really popcorn-y. <laughs> you, never, you never go, oh, hey, uh, this... this this salt could use more steak. I mean, I could probably say that, but just salt has a very distinct taste. Light has a distinct function. My grandpa Roy told me when he was on his ship, because I called it a boat one time and he got mad. In the Navy, when he was on the ship at night, when they weren't allowed to be on deck, he couldn't even light a match because that match could be seen from 24 miles in every direction. I could be wrong on the numbers, but talk to him. He'll, he'll tell you. But that tells, what that tells you is that 20, that single match can push away 24 miles of darkness. That is what you and I are called to do. But we are allowing hell and the devil to convince us that we are not significant. We are allowing the, we're allowing the devil to rob us of what God has called us to overcome and take. See, the war is over. 
I've, like, as I get older, I've been noticing this a lot. My grandpa, I've been talking about you a lot, grandpa, but he, when, when I was, when I was in, in his house, he would used to watch the, you know, the History Channel and things like that. And I'm like, oh, he would always say one more show and then we can watch what you want. The show never ended. But, <laughs> but now <laughs> I find myself, my favorite channel is the History Channel. There's so much cool stuff. And now I got, you know, Disney Plus. Yes, it's awesome. On there's the National Geographic Channel and they have World War II in color. And I'm watching that and I'm like, man, this is amazing. I've, I saw something that was really cool. They made a statement. They said the war, the war ended, but there was fighting for up to three years after. There was all these little skirmishes because all these little generals and colonels and captains had their little pockets of influence and authority, and they were going to rise again, all this stuff. The war had been, the, Germany surrendered. The ink had already dried. But there was all of these little skirmishes. What we are allowing the devil to do is convince us that this little skirmish is the battle that, we're, that has already been won. We are allowing the devil to convince us that this is bigger than us, that you don't have the ability nor the authority to overcome and overtake but Jesus said, look at all of the, Matthew uh, uh, 28, 18 says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Now go. You are my agent. You are my representative. You are my child. You are my, uh, my ambassador, my emissary. You represent me and all authority that has been given unto me, I give to you. The same spirit that raised Christ lives in us. Here, here's the thing, and this is my last point, is we have to start taking this personal. That person that you have on your mind, you have to take that personal. And some of you are like, Andy, I, like, no offense, bro, but you don't know what you're talking about because I don't know how much more personal this can be. This is my son. This is my daughter. This is my wife. This is my husband. This is my mom. This is, this is my dad. Like, how, can, how more personal can this be? I, you don't have to convince me. You have to convince you. I'm just a mirror. That's your mom. That's your son, your daughter. You, have, you are not helpless in this. God has equipped you, not just equipped you with tools, he's equipped you with himself. Romans 8, 11, you can jump the next one. And go to the last one. Romans 8, 11 says, the spirit of God who, was raised, uh, who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give, uh, he will give, what? He will give life. Where am I at? Sorry, I need glasses. To your, na your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Amen. He's convincing you, you have a squirt gun and you really have this giant, I don't even, to say it's an, you know, an AR-15 is just, like, you have a laser beam from Star Trek. Like, you can just incinerate people, and you can, you can, you can, oh, you, the bio, uh, um, in, in Romans it says that you are more than conquerors. It's not, now look, it, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the one that lives in you. Because guess what? The person that's on your heart and on your mind this afternoon or this evening, that's three. 
the person that's on your heart, God loves them more than you love them. My question is, is what am I waiting for? If I'm waiting for permission, I have it. If I'm waiting for authority, I have it. If I'm waiting for ability, I have it. Look at sharing the gospel with someone or sharing Jesus, sharing your faith is nothing more. It's like, I used to think when I was younger, I used to think I needed to memorize all these scriptures. I needed to know every counterpoint and argument to any atheistic argument that someone would point. It's that, no. What it is is simply representing or representing. We live in a, we live in a country where there's a lot of people it, it, like I, I looked up the statistic and it's like 9.8% of people have either been to church at some point in their life who have, have been shared the gospel to some degree, whether it's healthy or unhealthy. That's not like 9.8%. 9.8% out of 10, sorry. Not percent, 9.8, whatever it is. Anyway, a lot of people. 98%, thanks Dad. 98% of people have, been, have had the gospel shared with them to a certain degree, whether it's been healthy or unhealthy. So what we have to do is we have to represent, not just represent Jesus. We have to represent Jesus in a way that says, look it, I'm sorry for your experience. I'm sorry for what the person who represented Jesus did in their zeal or in their ignorance. I'm sorry for what they did. I'm not that. I'm not that. Let me love you. Because at the end of the day, this is the last thing I want to say. If your motivation is not love, Romans 2, 4 says that it's the love and kindness that draw men unto repentance. Man, he's good back there. It's the love and kindness and it's the, the patience of God that draw men unto repentance. If we are not that, if what's motivating is not love, what's motivating us is wrong. People will respond to, people will respond to love. My son, what I've learned, my son is five, he'll be six ugh, in March. When I, I've, I've gotten mad and I've gotten in his face and I've yelled and and all this, and he gets scared and cries, and you know. But when I pull him aside, I'll give you an example. I pull, like, he gets colors at school, right? He gets colors, and, and if he get you know, he starts at green, and he can either go green, yellow, orange, red, and then above, or he can go blue, purple, black. Or for like three weeks, he was getting blues and purples, and he got a black one day, and all this, and we said, buddy, look it, you have to behave at school. You have to do good at school. And if you get, you know, if you get a black day, I'm sorry, but you, you get a spanking. I'm sorry, I don't want to do this, but you get a spanking. And I have a paddle and you can call me later, it's fine. I got, I got, I got spanked with the paddle and all three, me, my brother, and my sister got spanked with a paddle and we all love Jesus. So I don't know if there's a correlation, I'm just saying. 
And my dad carved the Lord on the side, and he said, when you get home, you're going to meet the Lord when you get home. <laughs> anyway, but when I, sh- I, we had all this extra wood, and I made my paddle outside when we were making, me and Jason were making these, and I showed my dad. He's like, I don't like that at all. I go, your paddle was bigger. Like, I don't know what happens with grandparents. Anyway, back to the story. So on Monday, he gets a black day. I'm sorry, on Monday, he gets a purple day. And I go, anything below, like if it's a blue, okay, I get it. Purple, you get a spanking, I'm sorry. So I spank him. And I put a, I, I understand, like I, I probably, I felt really bad. I put a little bit of extra heat on it and he did not like that. And so the next day he gets a purple day. Oh, I'm sorry, he gets a black day, even worse than the first day. And I'm like, buddy, you have to get a spanking. And so I never want to spank him out of emotion or anything. This is what my parents did. And so I sent him to his room. I said, I'm going to be here in a minute, which that for me, waiting was awful. Anyway, so I come in and he, like Shay was outside doing something and she could hear him. Like he was screaming and he was like, no. And like, I was like, oh man, I have to do this. I have to follow through. And so I like, I feel just the Lord go look at and I feel him drop this scripture on my heart. And he goes, it's the love and kindness that draw men unto repentance. And so I get him in position and I go, and he literally just <laughs> like instantly stopped crying. And he looked at me and I go, buddy, and I get down right in front of his face. And I go, you know what that is? And he goes, no. I go, that's grace. And he goes, I like grace. I was like, me too. <laughs> And I gave him a kiss and we watched his show and we had some popcorn. He loves popcorn. He can eat like a whole box of popcorn anyway. And so, and then like three, three or four days later, he gets another purple day and he gets in the car and he goes, daddy, am I going to get grace? And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, oh man, you are a five-year-old boy. But what's motiv- what motivated me in that moment was my love for my son. What's motivating you for that person in your life is the love that you have for them. And the person that you are thinking about is just as lost, is just as helpless, is just as broken as the paralyzed man was. They may not be physically, but they are spiritually. And they're waiting for someone to come alongside and says, I got the answer, come with me. Amen? I'm gonna close in prayer. Father God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for what you're doing in this place, God. I pray, God, that you create right now in the name of Jesus, divine encounters. God, that there are encounters right now that when we leave this place, God, that you begin to send, you just begin to drop on the individuals that we're thinking about on their heart to respond, to text, to call, to, to make contact. God, and I pray that you open these doors for opportunity to speak truth, to speak love, to speak grace and compassion into these hearts and into these lives, God. And I pray, Lord, that you give us the confidence and the assurance that what we are doing is we are walking in your will, Lord. God, and I pray for supernatural encounters in the name of Jesus. I thank you, and I, I just, God, I, I just feel the word of ordain these people right now. God, I commission them. God, I, re, I, I prophesy the, com, the great commission to go into all of the world and make disciples of all nations. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I love you. You guys have a great night. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. 
can't wait to see you next week.